Have you always wanted to have a program on the radio? If you can talk on the phone, you can have your very own program on Holy Ghost Radio 2. You can produce your program or we can help you produce it. For more information, tap on the ad panel on our app or contact us through our website, www.holyghostradio.com. testimony and how you got in church. Well, Brother Hoffer, I was uh, born and raised in Pentecostal church. The cliche that I cut my teeth on a apostolic uh, pew is uh, certainly what took place in my life. My parents uh, were married in the late 30s. I can't uh, recall the exact date. But uh, they didn't have any children. My mother was barren for nine years. And uh, the Terry's, and sister I.H. Terry, had moved to Bakersfield um, in the process of trying to, to get my, uh, my Aunt Maggie, Maggie Terry's uh, sisters and brothers saved. They moved from Monahans, Texas, and uh, Brother Terry eventually started a church in a storefront in downtown Bakersfield, California. My mother was one of the first converts. I think there was like 18 people in the church when my mother prayed through. But it was, uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but it was five years, I believe, after they were there. So she, uh, the church there in Bakersfield, it went through times of struggle and low numbers. And after my mom uh, prayed through, and uh, some others, uh, not long after that, of course, uh, Sister Helen King and Brother Johnny King, dear friend of mine, his mother came in, but it's before our birth. God opened my mother's womb after she got the Holy Ghost. She'd been barren for nine years. She had six or five kids in six years, and I was the baby. So in 1955, I was, I was born, and the church uh, was started in 1943. So it was rolling and going, and then their, I think, third building when I was born, and uh, I grew up, uh, we went through revivals. I can remember as an eight-year-old boy, Brother Bean coming the first time, I think, in 1963, and then several other revivals with him and Rodney Free and Joe Duke. And so, you know, apostolic Pentecostal preaching has been a part of my life forever. I, uh, when I turned, uh, right before I turned 13, 
I had become interested in sports and and uh, I left the church. My parents divorced in 63 and uh, my dad and mom split and we moved to town. We lived on a horse and cattle ranch and uh, my mother and, and five kids moved into town in a little two-bedroom house and that's where I stayed for five years until I was 13 and I was active in all kinds of sports. I knew that uh, my pastor didn't really approve of me playing league sports as it progressed into junior high and uh, so I I uh, called my dad and and uh, he he agreed I, I, I packed my things and and uh, left the church when I was 13 years old uh, it wasn't long after uh, that I was there probably about six months uh, in October of 68 I believe it was that I uh, or 69 I'm 68 I had a motorcycle accident and uh, and destroyed my left knee which took me out of all the sports that I actually left. I wanted to wrestle and play. I was a quarterback on the football team, and and that took me out of all sports. And uh, which that of course turned me, and you know I I turned to the drug world and and uh, started a long history of uh, trafficking drugs. Uh, I, I had to have that attention, and you know it felt like that uh, that was an area that opened up to me, and the and the damage I did to my body, my knee was, uh, you know, I, it was repairable to walking and things, but not really uh, able to play uh, hard contact sports. And, uh, you know, that just, the spiral that, uh, you know, everybody thinks you climb a ladder. But what I found in the drug world, by the time I was 18 years old, I had, uh, 18 or 19, I had went to Mexico the first time. I think I was still 18. I went into Mexico as a lead, leading out uh, large quantities, like, you know, from 1,000 to 1,500 pounds of marijuana at a time. And uh, I became a lead, which is you right ahead of the load and you're running interference and things like that with the federalities. And I got involved in that world for about five years and uh, had some problems, had a friend uh, there in Bakersfield. It was a doctor's son uh, that was caught in one of my trucks on the border with 1,600 pounds of marijuana in it. And so the federal police came after me, the DEA, and uh, that, that outfit took the truck away from me and came after me and prohibited me from going into the country of Mexico. I had to, to go, and I went in a few times, but I had to smuggle myself in and out. And so then I turned to um, I, I turned to some other things. I, I started, uh, you know, fooling with hard drugs and things like that, and 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 you know, dealing on a local basis, and uh, just led to deeper, deeper uh, sin and deeper, deeper uh, connections. And uh, what happened to me is I uh, I had a couple children, uh, my wife Robin. Uh, was a childhood sweetheart. We, we grew up on ranches next door to each other. And, uh, and we were either neighbors uh, since she was eight and I was nine, or boyfriend and girlfriend are married until now. And, uh, and you know, we, we had two children. We had one child maybe and one on the way when God really started dealing with me. I uh, just 
would just like to say to those that understand the drug world that, um, you know, you think you're climbing a ladder and you think you're getting away from the street riffraff and trash, but what happens is the further you go up in the drug world, in my opinion and my experience is the more cutthroat everyone becomes. You have to get rougher and rougher and meaner and meaner. And I, uh, I was sitting in a, in a motel, I was sitting in a, the basement of the Hollywood uh, Holiday Inn on Hollywood Sunset Boulevard. And uh, I had been busted right there with uh, a half pound of cocaine. There was a half pound of cocaine out of my car in the parking lot. I had two other people with me. And, uh, and I was just sitting there being interrogated for about six hours. And I, I said to myself, I've been to jail a few times and been in some trouble. But I was like, you know, I started talking to the Lord a little bit after sitting there and knowing. I, I just assumed and uh, just projected really that I was going to go to prison for probably 10 years. And um, I, it's like the Lord spoke to me that I was raised better than that. My uh, roots and and uh, my mom that, that just continued to take us to church and, and live for God. Uh, I, I chose the wrong, the wrong avenue. I wasn't afraid of doing time. Uh, I wasn't afraid of uh, never been a snitch. I, 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 I wasn't even worried about that. But, you know, I, I, I came to a realization, Brother Hoffer, that, you know, I'm, I'm fixing to waste a good block of my youth and uh, spend it behind bars and uh, the Lord really just impressed my heart of, that I was raised better than that I, I started looking back at uh, the experiences I'd had as a child I'd got, received the Holy Ghost uh, when I was 8 years old and so before I, I backslid you know I, I experienced you know Holy Ghost uh, joy and, and peace and all of those things and, and, and really realized that's what I'd been searching for in all those years of drug trafficking and, you know, power tripping and all that, that sort of lifestyle. So I, 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 I didn't really make any commitments to God. I just uh, kind of got through that, that area and, uh, you know, got a lawyer, of course, and, and I didn't do a lot of time in prison or, or jail, but uh, God really helped me. I, uh, you know, he, he delivered me. And, uh, and, I, and, you know, I, I don't want to get into the particulars of what happened there, but I, I, I tell that part just to let people know that uh, that's where I first began to start thinking about it. My wife had never been to church. She, I think she maybe attended a Baptist service and maybe one Catholic service in her life. Her parents, neither one went to church, neither one uh, had anything to do with church, and so... Uh, in the midst of that trouble that I was in at that time, I think my second child, Candace, was a baby. And uh, my wife's parents, seeing the, maybe the cloud that was over me, invited her to come to Wyoming where they lived, where her father lived. And I put her on the plane in Southern California in uh, Los Angeles International Airport. And I told her when I put her on the plane, I said, you know, um, you're going to be gone a month. I said, but in, when you come back, things will be different. She didn't have any idea, didn't know that I'd ever prayed or ever talked to God. Or, and, and I had several experiences where uh, I really did 
talk to God. Three or four very distinct uh, experiences where God talked to me, but I never shared it with anyone. And uh, so I, I purposed in my heart to change my lifestyle. And um, not long after she left, I went to Santa Cruz, drove up to Santa Cruz, California, and found my old friend Dino. He was living up there in a nudist colony growing marijuana. And I convinced them to get dressed and and uh, get, in my, get in the rig. They had a rig too, but follow me back to Bakersfield and uh, we would start doing tree work, which is the trade I was taught by my father. And he had a tree service company there since 1937. And that belonged to me and, and, uh, and so I convinced him. I said, I'm ready to get out of the drug world and I'm ready to go back to work. And, uh, and I convinced him to come back. So when Sister Parker, Robin then, uh, returned in a month. I had a couple moved into our house with me. Of course, they lived with us before they even we any of us had children. So we were very good friends, and uh, and things were different at the house. The traffic, drug traffic, had stopped, and uh, and which my income had stopped. We were down to where our electricity was off. Uh, they were, turned our water off. I was hiding my car in a neighbor's garage. And, uh, but I was working and, uh, my, my wife was happy about that. And, uh, probably not more than two weeks after my wife returned, uh, my mother had heard about me making a change, Sister Molly Parker, and she was up with my brother Joe in Seattle, but her and Sister Myers, which is another one of my mother's sisters, uh, got in Sister Myers' car and, and drove to Bakersfield to see me. And I avoided my mother. I still wasn't clean. Uh, but she came out on the job. And I was up in a tree about 60, 70 feet up in the air. And that day I'd been on quaaludes and cocaine. And uh, i just taken a, a sniff of cocaine. And I looked down uh, on the ground. And there my mother and Sister Myers was. And I, you know, God smote my heart. And... Uh, I actually cut myself. I'd only cut myself a couple times with a chainsaw, but I cut myself. And uh, my mom saw it, and I was kind of just tore off a piece of my shirt and wrapped it around it. And she goes, are you all right? I said, yeah, I'm fine. And she said, well, I want to talk to you. And I said, well, I can't now. You know, I'm working. i got a crew working here. And, and I'd avoided her for, they'd been there about 10 days, and I'd avoided her. She'd been to my house a lot, but uh, I'd avoided her and my aunt. And so I promised her I'd see her that evening and so that evening uh, I was at home and my mom and sister Myers came over my mother came up on the front porch of our house and I went out on the front porch and I got to talking to her and she got to crying and uh, tell me said well Jesse if you'll just go see brother Terry I heard you've been studying your bible and I had I've been getting up early in the morning and studying my bible trying to read my way back into truth and uh, she said, just promise me, she's crying, and tell me, promise me that you'll go see your uncle Ike. I wouldn't do it. I, I just, I wasn't going to make that promise. And Bino comes out, sees my mom crying, and he starts petting on her and hugging her and going, we'll do it, Molly, we'll do it, we'll go to church. And I'm looking at Bino like, don't lie to my mom, Bino, you know. And anyway... I finally did say, okay, I'll, I'll call him or I'll go see him or something. I'll, I'll talk to him. 
in my search, you know, trying to, I, I had this thing in my head that you didn't really have to obey the message of Acts 2.38 to be saved and, and that you could receive the Holy Ghost some other way than actually receiving it, speaking in tongues. And and I was, I was on a mission to prove that. That's what I was studying so hard for. And so in the process of, uh, of, of, of that study and the promise I made to my mother, uh, maybe just a week or two later, we got up and I told everybody on a Sunday morning, everybody up lives in this house, which were the McMahons, Bino and Debbie, and my wife and I, and our, I think we just had the two girls. I said, we're all going to church today. We went to Calvary Chapel and it was a church like where all the ex-hippies went. And people show up in shorts, and nearly bathing suits, and some Sundays were spent out at Kisterison Lake. And so they were coming up the next Sunday to baptize, and I'd been talking to my wife about baptism in Jesus' name and, and telling her that, you know, this is the way you showed her in the Bible how baptism was supposed to take place. And she'd even called several churches uh, she thought everyone baptized that way after me showing her in the Bible. and So one day she called eight or ten churches asking if they baptized in Jesus' name, and none of them did or would. And uh, some of them told them, it's not, you don't even need to be baptized, you know, just don't worry about that. But anyway, uh, we went We went the second time. The second Sunday, I think it was, we, uh, we went and they had a baptismal out at Kisterison Lake and we went there and uh, when we arrived they were playing rock and roll music and people there were people drinking beer uh, groups of people at the lake and you know just I knew of course from my upbringing that it wasn't right and uh, my wife was totally turned off by it they had four or five people out on the lake baptizing and so I, I carried my wife out or just walked out with her and uh, told the guy that was going to baptize her, now here's the way I want you to baptize her. I want you to baptize her in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And he he panicked uh, a little bit, like, uh, well, I need to talk to a pastor about that. And and so we just went back up on shore. She wasn't baptized. So when we returned to church, the same church the next Sunday, which may have been the third Sunday, um, the pastor got up and and uh, there's a special speaker there, but he said, uh, there's people around our church talking to other people about being baptized in Jesus' name. And he clearly said, if that's the way you feel and you, you think that's truth, then we don't want you here. And uh, so I, of course, being so timid, uh, I waited for him to leave the platform, and I met him in the foyer. Church was continuing, but it was just he and I in the foyer, and I confronted him. I said, hey. Were you talking to me? You know, he said, well, are you the one? I said, yeah, I'm the one that asked about it and talked about it. And uh, he said, well, what you need is some Bible studies. And I just paused for a little bit and I go, no, what you need is some Bible study. <laughs> anyway, that was my last Sunday at the Charismatic Church. And, uh, and you know, those people, uh, I knew a lot of them and, and taught Bible studies to many of them later. And I uh, loved, loved those people for what they'd done and were doing at that time. They were a stepping stone for me. Uh, but I realized that, you know, with my knowledge and, and you know, I, I had incredible knowledge, really. 
that I had uh, received up to age 13. So for five or uh, 12 years, I hadn't attended one church service and and uh, didn't read my Bible for over 11 years. I still had the Bible that I had purchased. I still have it today. It made it through all the drug houses and places I I went. I still had my, my Schofield Bible uh, from when I, I purchased when I think it was seven or eight years old. And I dug in that Bible, and of course there were many, many sermons by Brother uh, Free, many sermons by Brother Bean and different ones, and and you know you have a tendency to study the highlighted things and so I was I was amazed really how knowledgeable I was uh, the knowledge that I'd gained up until I was just 13 years old so the showdown came I I, I came to 36 and 0 which is what we call the, the address of the first Pentecostal church in Bakersfield I think it's called Greater Bakersfield Pentecostal Church now but uh, Brother I. H. Terry, my uncle, was the pastor, and uh, the first Sunday, Sunday, I nearly got into a fist fight with him after church inside the auditorium. I was surrounded by eight or ten young men that were ready to pounce on me, but you know, I, Brother Terry came back, and um, if you know I. H. Terry or knew him, he was very aggressive, uh, but he walked in the Holy Ghost, and he knew that I had to be handled rough. You know, he couldn't baby me or or uh, you know uh, treat me softly and so he got right in my face and said well I heard you're you're serious about coming to church and that you're gonna that you're real serious about what you're doing I said that's right and uh, I had a chip on my shoulder huge one and uh, and so uh, brother Terry knew how to take it off piece by piece and and he did that he uh, there were times that uh, probably three or four times I left uh, services in that first couple of months, and I told my wife, I'll never go back. See, I told you, he's just a mean old man, you know. And by Thursday, which was our midweek Bible study, uh, I was so hungry for God and so hungry for what was right and realized that, you know, everywhere, everywhere else I looked, it was false doctrine. It was just... No one was really serious about doctrine and about the true message of the new birth message of the book of Acts. And so it was truth. And I had brothers and sisters that had, were raised in, in um, church and uh, they'd never been out. My brother uh, Joe was a minister at the time. My sisters, they traveled all over the United States singing, a group singing Parkers. And... Uh, and so he was evangelizing at the time that I started coming back to church. Just start, I guess he had started a church in Federal Way, Washington. Still preaching out quite a bit. And I had a sister and a brother-in-law and a brother, uh, Mike, and another sister and a brother-in-law, uh, Tim Ayers, and my sister Sally, my sister Katie, and I was married to a man named Mike Hayes, and they were all in Texas. So my sisters and brothers called me and said, you need to come to Texas, Jesse, you know. Brother Terry is is good for doctrine or good, you know, for teaching the Bible. But you know, he's he's a little mean and gruff, and and you'd do a lot better if you came to Dallas. And and you know, I'm telling this part because uh, it, it really is instrumental in understanding the, how God really, I think, allowed me to make a mistake of my life by leaving church. And uh, going to my dad's and going out into the world and getting involved in 
and all that for 12 years. But it put a separation between me and my sisters and brothers that when they left the doctrine and, um, and felt like crowds were more important or, or other things were more important than preaching the doctrinal truth we were all raised with, um, that it put a huge division. The sad part in this is that I was thinking, now I'm getting back in church and, and uh, getting a hold of God and, and getting God back in my life. I'm going to get my family back as a drug dealer and you know I just you don't hang around church people of any kind and uh, I, I was thrilled to think that I'm going to get my brothers and my sisters back and uh, we're going to have this great fellowship going you know Thanksgiving Christmas all those sorts of things but I soon found out I was further apart from them uh, than I was as a drug dealer when we did get together and I started talking about the joy of the Lord and and the message backs 238. Uh, I, I soon found out it was not something that um, they were sold on, and that, that was a part of their ministry. And so, it, it that was disheartening. It was something I had to live. Through. I had to make a decision. I went to Brother Terry and told him that you know, hey, my brothers and sisters think I ought to come to Texas. What do you think about that? And he just shrugged his shoulders at me. You know, he he never got involved in family fusses or feuds, and he was family. But I'm sure it just inspired him to to preach doctrinal messages. I can remember Brother Bob Dansby and Keith McCoy, and and uh, just different other young men that were on the platform when I prayed through. Uh, I would go talk to Brother Terry just nearly every day. We didn't have church, and. He would come to church and preach doctrinal messages on questions I'd ask. They would come up to me after church and say, Don't quit. Don't quit asking questions. Brother Terry said, We hadn't heard him preach like this in years. And it just, you know, we got on a fast track. It's really amazing, and I may talk about this later or something, but we were only with Brother Terry. He retired after two and a half years. A little over two and a half years and then Brother Frost came in I was there for the transition and then I stayed with Brother Frost for eight months before I went to the Grand Oregon so I was only in, I was only prayed back through three and a half years when I came to Oregon and uh, you know it, uh, the call the you know it was almost like a, a rapid pace like I was trying to in, in the best way I knew how make up for lost time I had the uh, you know the guilt I had to deal with guilt still do uh, about people I had influenced in the wrong way you know in the drug world and a world of sin and I'd had people leave my house and uh, within hours after leaving my house uh, one man a prominent businessman there in Bakersfield killed himself in 450SL Mercedes uh, still high on drugs that he had used from my house a prominent uh, farmer and uh, had a lot of friends uh, people that you know I partied with and, and hung out with in Bakersfield so I felt a, a real um, uh, obligation I felt like I needed to uh, you know, try to make up for some of that 
bad uh, history. I guess the world would call it karma, but uh, I, uh, I felt like I needed to do everything I could. I told my sisters and brothers in Texas, I said, you know, uh, they didn't think I could live for God in Bakersfield around all my old connections and and uh, drug people. But I told them, I said, you know, if I can't live for God here, I can't live for God anywhere. You know, then what I have is not real. And uh, and so that that just escalated. I I don't think we were in church a month until we taught our first home Bible study. And. Uh, and so Brother Keith McCoy came up to me at church one night and he had a chart in his hand and, and a search for truth manual on the other hand and he said, here, I'm going to give you these and, and uh, would you teach this Bible study to as a new couple that was attending church? Actually, the girl was like me. She was a prodigal and been away for several years and come back with a different husband and, and uh, had a family of four, I think. And... and uh, he said, teach them Bible study. We can't do it. I said, why? And he said, well, because they smoke Paul Mall cigarettes the whole time we're there, and we just can't do it. And, of course, I had been a smoker for about 13 years, so I, I can handle that. And uh, we we started our first Bible study with them, I think a month, probably a month or, or six weeks, no longer than that. And we read from the... We read from the manual, which they tell you not to do. The first one took four hours. And uh, this, the sub- subsequent ones, I don't think we had one under three hours. But I learned a lesson there that uh, that you, uh, it, it's not really the way you're teaching. Uh, all those things come into play, but it's uh, if your heart's in it and you find somebody that's hungry, uh, those people, the members from that family, still living for God today. And uh, many years later, I was preaching a uh, a meeting uh, out in Kansas, and this blonde-headed young man comes up to me and t- you know shakes my hand, and said, "You know me?" And I looked at him and I said, "Well, you look familiar." And he told me his name. I don't want to say it here, but told me his name, and I remembered him as being one of those children in that very first Bible study. So it was, a, you know, it was a call. It was, uh, uh, I could look at, you know, some of the bad I'd done and the influence. Again, I'm being redundant here a little bit, but um, it, that was all part of getting back in church for me, all, all part of, uh, uh, of receiving and, uh, you know, getting in tune with God, filled with the Holy Ghost, my wife filled with the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and so that was, uh, that's how I got back in. Some lawyers can win And a doctor can heal Your old banker can lend Till your pockets are filled But if yours is the case of a sin-stricken soul For the problem you face There's only one place to go Climb up that mountain Where there's still streams of fountains A sparkling crimson Called Calvary 
Tell me a little bit about how you got to La Grande, Oregon. Well, Brother Hoffer, it was like uh, I'd been in church three and a half years. And uh, the past, oh, eight months or so, Brother Terry had told me uh, he was getting ready to retire uh, eight months previous to this. And uh, Brother Frost was coming in and he said, you know, I don't want, we had some people that we'd won to God in the church there. And uh, he said, I don't want it, there being a conflict, you know, between ministers or people not understanding the transfer. So he wanted me to uh, to be gone when Brother Frost got there. And, and so he told me, go meet the board, get your license. And, and so in the process of time there, in just a couple of months, I went and met the board. And uh, they asked me what my plans were. I said, well, I'm, I had about... 12 or 14 churches that wanted me to come and preach revival. So, you know, I had lined up or people had asked me to come and we had tried to buy a motorhome a couple times. We had found a motorhome and uh, just waiting to sell our house. And uh, people would come and they would like it and it just was a situation where it just wasn't selling. And uh, real estate was tough. 1980, you know what, 1984. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I came home and uh, and uh, began to just plan on going on the evangelistic field. And uh, it wasn't really our 
our heartthrob really was souls and winning people to God, and and I felt like God wanted me to pastor. And uh, you know, just there wasn't a. We tried. We'd went to Wyoming. We'd went to Washington. Uh, we tried to buy a church building in Washington and start a place called Enumclaw. Um, well, Kilgore had mentioned to a friend of mine about how Pentecostal the city of Tacoma was, and uh, we looked at Tacoma and we tried several places. I, I tell young men now that uh, you know you can't sit at home and wait for an angel to just come and tell you here's the city you're going to. I feel like you got to go out and push on some doors and uh, you know find the will of God. Well. Uh, what happened with the grand was uh, I was sitting in my living room one morning and uh, the youth convention was in process at Bakersfield and so it was probably April or May I forget what month that but around May I think it was May maybe and uh, a man pulled up in front of my house and he's looking at a for sale by owner sign and I was I just felt so desperate that I told God, God, if that man comes and buys my house, I'll go to Argentina. And the guy pulls in my driveway and uh, gets out of his car and comes, wants to see the house. My wife wasn't there, and I showed him the house, and and he goes, I want to buy it. And he had half. It was uh, the price was like eighty-four thousand, and and he had forty thousand or forty-two thousand to put down. And so. I just like I nearly panicked again because of what I told the Lord. I didn't even know anyone in Argentina. It just sounded romantic to me. You know, I was like I'll go to Argentina. Well, I got dressed and went to the convention. They were having a day service, but Kilgore was preaching the night services, and he was wearing me out every night. He was telling about his call and how he was called to preach when he was 12 years old in Idaho, and. Uh, and so I came to the day service, and the first person I, I met at the front door was Dallas Mefford. And Dallas had uh, worked for my dad, lived with my parents before they had any children, and went to church with my mom, and and uh, and worked with my dad. And my dad was a sinner, but he he worked with my dad till I think he was 21. But anyway, I run to Dallas it's like family, and I go, Dallas, I just did the stupidest thing this morning. And he goes, what would you do? And I told him what I'd said to God and what had happened. He said, that was stupid. And I go, I, I know. You know, what do I do now? And he gave me some really good advice. He said, uh, Jesse, you better go find a town that fits your personality and stay there. You know, go find you a town that, that fits you. And, uh, and so I went in and, and I took that to heart. I was thinking about it, and we had a church service. I don't even remember who preached that day service. Maybe in Clifford Clark. Uh, he was the youth president then, I believe. And anyway, uh, when that was that was over, I went home, and my wife meets me at the door, and she's got a little piece of paper in her hand, and uh, she had said, uh, "This man called from Lagrand, Oregon." She goes, "I think you should call him." And it was J.D. Borders. And uh, he had been here three years. And that little group of people together and uh, had taken a church in Wisconsin, I believe it was Wisconsin, and uh, was leaving. I didn't know Brother Borders at the time. 
And, uh, and so I called him and I said, uh, yeah, I want to come. And uh, so we made arrangements, I think, for like two weeks from that time for me to be here on a Sunday morning. Well, I was here a week early. He was uh, laid up with wisdom teeth being pulled out. I'll never forget. I walked in. He wasn't expecting me. And uh, and walked in and, and preached. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of feeling the place out. But the tool was the superintendent, and I contacted him. He's the one that gave Brother Borders my number. I contacted him with interest in the state of Oregon and, uh, you know, what possibilities there were and things like that. And so he had called me and said, uh, well, whatever you do, don't make a commitment. You know, it's a little mountain town. There's two churches over here on the on I-5 uh, that are paid for, and there's some income in them and things like that. He said, I want you to come over here and look at both of them, preach at both of them. And just don't make a commitment. And I said, okay, I'll, you know, so I went that Sunday morning and I preached. And I went downstairs, there's a little basement in the church. I was downstairs where, that's actually where the boarders were living, eating a popsicle or something. And he comes back down and he goes, you're a pastor. And I said, I didn't say I wanted to be pastor. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even know they were voting, but the four or five members that were there uh, voted me in. And uh, I still told him, you know, well, kind of what Brother Tool told me. And uh, I went, we went back to the room, my wife, and, and we just had Megan, my oldest daughter, with us. And we went back to a little motel downtown. And uh, we sat there in that motel, and I told him, I go, what do you guys think, you know? Brother Tool called me, and I don't make a commitment. I said, well, I'm going to stay and preach tonight again. I, I didn't make a commitment. I told him what had happened, that they had voted me in as pastor, and and I was still in shock, and uh, but I, you know, I, I knew I knew God was was trying to help me. I'd, I'd been to, like I said, to Buffalo, Wyoming. I'd been to Enumclaw, Washington. I'd been to Tacoma. I went to other towns trying to feel God, and and it just, you know, there was no angel there telling me which way to go. But I went back that night, and and I made a commitment. I told them I'd be back within um, 45 days. And uh, and I still had the issue with my house and the guy that was buying my house. I went back to California and I just waited. I and uh, the man comes to my house and says, "Well, I, they, I can't get the loan." And uh, we were down to about I don't know, maybe like three weeks before I'd committed to be back to Legrand. And so I call up this friend of mine, Gary Belter, still in the real estate business in Bakersfield. And I called him up and I said, hey, Gary, I said, uh, I'm leaving town. I'm, I'm going to take a little church up in northeast Oregon. And he goes, really, Jess? I go, yeah. And, of course, my family thought I'd made a horrible mistake. My mom thought, well, this would be Jesse's three years on the desert, you know. And different people made statements like that, like, why would he do that, go to such a little town? And why would he do that? And, uh, and so then my house deal fell through. And uh, didn't have to go to Argentina, but I felt good about that. And so I told Belter, I said, uh, you need to sell my house, and here's what I'll sell it for. And, uh, and uh, don't Mickey Mouse around, you know, we're good friends. And, and uh, so he brings, in a couple of days, he goes, I got one person interested. And he brings one guy out to my house, and the guy offers me, it's 
the price is 84000 the guy offers me like eighty, And I said, no, no. I said, I'll, I'll take eighty two five, and and if you won't pay eighty two five, then I said, don't make me any other offer. This, you know, this is it. I said, come by here. If I told him, I said, come by here in, in 10 days, and you'll see a U-Haul truck backed up to my house, and I'll be loading everything I got in it in that truck. And I had about half the money was was uh, uh, equity. But I said, I'm going to let this house rot right here on the foundation because I'm leaving. And you can come by here in two weeks and you'll see. And so the next day, Belter, Gary Belter calls me and said, Hey, I got, I got an offer. And I said, Gary, you know what I told the guy? Don't offer me one cent less. And he said, the offer is for 82 And I said, no deal. It was over 500 bucks, you know. And he goes, Jess, I'll pay the 500 bucks. <laughs> I'll take it out of my commission. And so I laughed and said, yeah, we, we don't have to do that. But we sold it. And, you know, it was like that was the day we knew that no matter what happened, or no matter what we were going to go through, that God, how fast. Or one person looked at my house and, uh, you know, I just uh, told him this is the way it is. And, you know, and, and, and how God worked that out, how God stood by me, uh, I just knew. And uh, to this day, I you know, I can't say that there was like uh, anything really spiritual about it. Other than the fact that uh, through the process of how long we had worked for a year trying to sell that house and uh, trying to get ready to go, but when we finally went to the right place where God wanted us and was willing to uh, to do the right thing, uh, God just opened every door really quick. I was here actually two weeks early. I showed up two weeks before that. I told him 45 days or 30 days I was here, and uh, the rest is history. There. Amen.
Have you always wanted to have a program on the radio? If you can talk on the phone, you can have your very own program on Holy Ghost Radio 2. You can produce your program or we can help you produce it. For more information, tap on the ad panel on our app or contact us through our website, www.holyghostradio.com. 